Liz and I have been married for 37 years. We have four married daughters who live in Dallas and a new grandson with another on the way. There's our picture uh, at the beach this fall. And uh, so we have a lot of story to get to that picture. So um, we've served in marriage ministry for eight years. And uh, for the past um, four years, we've been leading a group here at Reengage. You might wonder why people get up here and share their stories with complete strangers. Uh, sharing our struggles with you is not fun. Just like you, we've had problems uh, we did not imp- anticipate or handle well. Uh, our backgrounds did not prepare us for what we would encounter. Um, we both grew up feeling entitled and to have everything go our way, and God uh, has had to uh, show us another way. So I'll start with our story. Can you hear me? I grew up in a loving and secure and privileged family, and I'm the middle child between two brothers. A strong moral code and serving those around us was very, were very important values in our home. We did not, however, go to a church that taught us about Christ. When I was 15, three really big changes happened in my life, all within a few months' time. First, my parents went through a very caustic divorce involving several custody suits and the splitting up of my brothers and me. And at that time, hard to believe now, I didn't know anyone whose parents were separated or divorced. In the midst of this rocky time, I had just started high school, and there was this really cute guy, two years older than me and miles ahead of me in relational experience, um, that I started going out with. After five or six dates with him, I remember thinking, this is the guy that I'm going to marry and spend the rest of my life with. And I guess that's the way 15-year-olds think. Isn't that bizarre now that it actually turned out to be true that this guy is sitting right here next to me 40 years later? Um, The third event happened a few months after that. With all the recent trauma in my family, I began wondering if there was more to life than being a, a good person. I wondered if God really did exist and if he really did care about me. That was the most important thing that happened to me in that whirlwind time. The Lord revealed himself to me, and I began a personal relationship with Jesus. You're on that page. You just turned over. (laughs) There you are, right there. I also grew up in Dallas, actually just a few miles away from Liz. I was the youngest of four kids. My dad was 45 when I was born. And I and worked all the time, so my mother did most of the parenting. I learned a lot from just watching my older brother and sisters. Mostly, I learned what not to do. My siblings were trouble and wore my parents out. But by the time I reached high school, my parents spent most of their time traveling, leaving me at home and trusting that I would make good choices. With this freedom, I grew up too quickly. I was into drugs, sex, wild living much of the time. Um, Like Liz, I was ready for the good news that Christ could rescue me from myself. Uh, I was ready uh, at about 17 to live differently. Providentially, the Lord put a godly man in my life who introduced me to Christ, and Christ began to change my patterns of destructive behavior. 
Liz and I dated for five years, for five years on and off. While Liz was a sophomore in college, I graduated from SMU and started my first job, which involved lots of travel on the road. I became lonely. I was tired of being single. And one weekend, out of the clear blue, decided to ask Liz to marry me. It was a complete surprise to her, much to the dismay of her parents and most of her college friends. We were married at the end of her junior year. As newlyweds, one of our first conflicts centered around making decisions together. I was very comfortable making quick decisions. Liz was slow and deliberate. That didn't work for me. If she couldn't decide within my time frame, I would make unilateral decisions for both of us. I couldn't and wouldn't handle her opinions and input when they called my decisions into question. Example, when we bought our first house, I picked out and then bought all of our dining room and living room furniture all by myself. Can you believe I was such an idiot? Uh, Are you seeing my pattern yet? I made decisions based primarily on my needs. Philippians 2.4 says, Do not look merely at your own needs, but look out for those of others. I was not showing her honor. So I love being married, but I wasn't very good at creating a home. Remember, I was only 22 years old and had been living in a dorm and then a sorority house where the meals were served and people picked up the trash and... I thought I was really capable in most areas of life. Very little failure led to a prideful heart in me. And when I couldn't meet Robert's expectations, I became defensive and defeated. I didn't like some guy controlling decisions that I wanted to make for myself, and I resented him for it. And my pride kept me focused on Robert's behavior without really seeing my own inadequacies. If we were going to be a team, both of us needed lots of practice at moving away from our own self-interest and towards supporting each other. So three years in, our first daughter was born, and I love being a mom. But as anyone will tell you, children don't fix issues. They magnify them. And after our second daughter was born, it became harder for me to manage Robert's overwhelming expectations for me and care for our two baby girls. In the midst of that busy time, our workload doubled when we found out that we were pregnant with twins. I had a lot to learn about limits. I was a husband, a father of two with twins on the way. I was serving as an elder in my church and working crazy in my business. I was so pressed to juggle all of the balls in the air that I felt crazy inside. My fear of not being able to keep it all going made me an angry person. Much of my anger was focused towards Liz. It took very little to trigger me. I constantly had a case against her. My behavior caused my wife to have to work to walk on eggshells much of the time. Around year six, our relationship started to buckle. Counseling helped me to see that I required too much from everybody, especially Liz, in order for my crazy life to work. I needed to have all the control rather than giving it to the Lord. With all my pride and arrogance, my Heavenly Father decided it was time for me to uh, experience some major refining. Hebrews 12, 5 says, Whom the Lord loves, he disciplines. And he tells us not to faint when we are being reproved by him. 
Sometimes God has to knock out all the props before we understand what he wants. In my early 30s, my father died suddenly, my business fell apart, and Liz delivered our premature twin girls 10 days after my dad's funeral. As my business was falling apart, so was my ability to handle my family. I became physically and emotionally unavailable to Liz as the weight of my circumstances bore down on me. It was then that God began to perform a deeper heart change in me. So one day I went outside to discover Robert still in his car in the garage, unable to start the engine. He was dreading the office and the issues waiting for him there. His pile had become overwhelming. Both of us had been so focused on the demands of life that we missed some of the warning signs. All the stress caused Robert to fall into a fairly serious depression. And I felt the pressure to keep the household running and to support Robert as he worked to piece back together his world. Looking back, I see that the Lord was training me to rely on him instead of my unusually capable at so many things husband. What Robert needed was my support and not my words of wisdom or my unsolicited opinions. As tough times usually do, that season uh, of depression passed with the help of some great counseling and we were able to get back on solid ground, but an even greater challenge lay ahead. We discovered that one of our beautiful twin daughters was born with a chemical imbalance, resulting in severe bouts of depression and emotional distress. She was faced with this emotional instability for all of her growing years, and she would courageously deal with ongoing anger, sadness, and hopelessness. It was devastating not to be able to relieve her misery. By the time our daughter reached 15, Her daily existence was so difficult that she asked us to find a place where she could live to receive better care. She was deeply burdened with such mental and emotional turmoil that the option of death itself offered a kind of release. Hoping to offer her some relief, we placed placed her in a residential care facility in Denver where she could live, attend school, and receive daily emotional support. We were reeling with pent-up emotions, trying to process the effect on our marriage, trying to acknowledge the impact on our other three daughters, and continually visiting our daughter in Denver. We understand firsthand why so many couples with tough situations like this just become hopeless and quit trying to make their marriage work. When she returned home more than a year later, we'd like to tell you that everything was much better But difficulties in school, bad boyfriends, hurting herself, and a few years later, two suicide attempts left us on a level of empty that challenged our marriage and our walk with the Lord. Our daughter's struggles taught me to be a very good advocate for her during that time, but the Lord had to teach me to take care of me. I learned two important principles then. Oddly, the first one comes from listening to the emergency instructions on an airplane. They say, in the event of a sudden loss of pressure, an oxygen mask will automatically drop down. Y'all all heard this. Be sure to place yours on first. Then help others around you. Taking care of yourself is not a selfish act. Actually, the opposite. We must first be equipped in God's power and in his strength and his mercy and his perspective. Or we'll get pulled under by those that we're trying to help and rescue. So the second lesson comes from Psalm 139, 23, which says, Search me, O God, 
and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts and see if there be any hurtful way in me. I'm still learning to examine the state of my own heart first before trying to exhort my spouse. It's so much easier to cast blame and try to fix them than to look at yourself and your own stuff. As for me, I felt like I was in a pit that was impossible to escape. I couldn't understand why the Lord would just barely allow us to make it each day. And it was crushing to realize how many years this had been going on. I felt powerless to help my daughter and lead my family well. Maybe you've been in this place with your circumstances or in your marriage. God's comfort and truth came to me in Psalm 40, verse 1. King David wrote while he was in the pit, I waited patiently for the Lord. He turned to me and he heard my cry. I didn't want to wait patiently. I had a really hard time dealing with a daughter that couldn't make life work. I released much of my anger towards the Lord on my wife and my other girls. In my mind, it was just too much to handle. Liz and I couldn't agree on what to do, and I would feel threatened that she wouldn't follow my take on a particular situation. After a while, you quit getting angry and just quit engaging. But God faithfully taught me to wait patiently. He did not give up on me. Psalm 40 verse 3 says, He lifted me out of the mud and the mire of the pit, and He set my feet on a solid ground, and He put a new song in my heart. A song of praise. So after dealing with years of a family crisis on top of the other issues of life, uh, the Lord has shown us that he is big enough to handle our mix of fears and doubts and anger and disappointment. It's also become clear that asking why is a big waste of time. It's really instead how. How do I keep going when my strength is gone? How do I respect my husband when he's being so mean to me? How do I trust you with all these fears, Lord, for my daughter or finances or health or whatever? Every day, I have to move away from fear and back to faith. I can't spend too much time on the what-ifs or what's next. By God's incredible grace, our daughter, who struggled for 26 years, is doing so amazingly well, beyond what we could have imagined or hoped for. And... God, in, the same, in his same grace, continues to teach us new lessons and gives pop quizzes on the ones we thought we had down pat. <laughs> so, just in the past six months, I've had to get back in my own circle and work hard on me. Living with crazy in our family all those years, I developed some unhealthy ways of relating to Robert. Trying to navigate uncontrollable behavior and reactions created a high level of vigilance in me watching for the next explosion, for impending breakdown, for the possibility of a tidal wave kind of of sorts over our family. One lives with a constant antenna up. And Robert's a shoot-from-the-hip kind of guy. He's a visionary. He's willing to take risk. But my desire for control and calm and avoidance of trouble causes me to anticipate instability, like a radar, to attempt to control outcomes and to direct Robert to direct Robert and how we should navigate daily issues, big and small. Well, this communicated to him, I don't trust you, and I know how to do life better. Robert actually told me he felt like he was living with his mother. Not so good. So we laid this whole ugly, broken mess out before our community group. All the broken, ugly, yucky junk. 
just like many of you are doing with us each week in open group. It's a humbling and a hard and an exhausting process. So I've been working within my circle to own my part and dealing with my prideful heart again, thinking I knew best. And again, I've been humbled by my inadequacy, really my lack of trust in God to lead through Robert. And once I acknowledged who I really was laying down, my Heavenly Father, I began to seek his approval over my actions as opposed to just Robert. Currently, I'm out of the deep end of the pool, but I'm still practicing those strokes every day on all those issues. And I cannot depend on Robert's stability or his behavior or his response in order to live with him in a respectful, God-honoring way. But it sure did encourage me when, he, when I saw him starting to work on his part and sharing with me how he intends to strengthen our bond. You may not have a troubled child or a depressed and demanding spouse, but you might have something that intensely challenges your marriage or your faith. And you're probably tired of asking for relief and waiting for God, wondering whether He is strong enough to transform your spouse, your life, your marriage. Deuteronomy 31.8 says, The Lord is the one who goes ahead of you. He will be with you. He will not fail you or forsake you. He's not forsaken us. After everything we've been through, we're learning to see the Lord working instead of wondering if he is. We want to continue to encourage as many hurting people uh, as we can. We want you to be um, friends with each other, to have a passion again for each other. Um, We want you to look into one another's eyes and be okay with what you see. So we say yes whenever it's our turn to share, hoping someday it will be yours.